Hello and welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about expatriates and the artistic way they've styled their lives around the world. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. Find yourself shipwrecked in a far-off place, and Dale, welcome to the show. <laughs> Try not to plan too much at all. You know, just be spontaneous. I quit the limiting stories. I really try to overcome that fever. I'm gonna sail again. Give me one more. I got one more sailing. Love her, but leave her wild. But it didn't work for me. The American dream wasn't gonna work for me because I didn't fit American dream. I had respect when I was a young farm. Now I'm an old guy, and I respect myself. You know what, Jacob? I'm a secret fan. And I prefer to just be secret. And if you can figure out who Dale Dagger is, then figure it out. And if you can't, then go. Hello and welcome to another podcast of Misfits and Rejects. I'm sitting here with the godfather of surfing, Dale Dagger. Charted the coasts of many frontiers down in Central America, Nicaragua. He found himself shipwrecked at one point and never left. So I feel like it's a very appropriate and exciting moment to capture uh, his story and inspire you to maybe uh, take that leap of faith and find yourself shipwrecked in a far off place and, and make a life for yourself. Very unique because when Dale landed here, he didn't have anything and he's built a small and very respectable empire for himself. Maybe even a big empire, depending on who you're comparing it with. But I'd like to introduce him and uh, welcome to the show. Dale, welcome to the show. <laughs> well, so um, Dale, let's, let's talk a little bit about your past and where you grew up. Where'd you grow up, Dale? I grew up in San Diego, California. I was born on Wandermere Street at Winden City. And my parents, when they had a son, my father thought that it was going to be too expensive to live in La Jolla, so he moved to Lemon Grove. I never forgave them for that. If I would have grown up on Wanamere Street, I'd probably be some dickhead from La Jolla. <laughs> All right. What was your childhood like? I mean, did you travel much? I mean, you, you've obviously had a legendary lifestyle in the way you traveled the world and sailed around the Pacific. Was that a part of your childhood? Did you grow up as a sailor? Was your father a sailor? Or? My father camped, and my parents camped. And then we got a trailer, and we camped at La Costa. The first place I ever saw surfing was a place called Tamarack Street in, in Oceanside, California. And that's where I got kind of the, the taste of it. My father rented me a Sabbath in Half Moon Bay, and I got my taste of sailing there. Why did I start surfing? I started surfing because of the Beach Boys. I was a trendy guy, wanted to be hip, wanted to be like everybody else in my junior high school. So I started surfing. I told everybody I was a surfer years before I actually really was a surfer. Interesting. So you, you come from the era of the Beach Boys? Found I it. come from the era that's, that's now when everybody wants to be a surfer. And they really aren't a surfer. I wanted to be a surfer and I really wasn't a surfer. And then I became a surfer and then I really became a surfer. Where surfing became my life. And because surfing became my life, I started looking ways to find new surf and I dreamed about sailboats. My ideal was to bring a catamaran down behind a van to come to Central America because I knew Central America had waves. How'd you know that? Oh, Surfer Magazine. God, when I grew up, everybody had a Volkswagen bus. Everybody was going to Central America. It was in Surfer Magazine. It was, we didn't have Surfer's Journals then, but if we did, it had been in. I'm just a, 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 pro, a product of media. I'm not 
anybody special. I just read about it and did it. But what happened to me was I just went a little bit further than just coming down here and having a look-see. I went back to buy a catamaran to drag down behind my Volkswagen bus, and I bought too big a boat. I bought a 24-foot Piver Nugget. Uh, Arthur Piver is the, the founder of Cat of Trimaran's multi-hole sailing. He's a pioneer in his own way, like Blake and, and surfer guys like that. I ended up surfing the Channel Islands in the 70s. And the Channel Islands in the 70s were like, like Central America in the 80s and the 90s. There was nobody there. There were abalone divers. I don't know if you remember abalones. You probably buy them in a can now. But there used to be a, a fleet of people that went out there and dove. And they were very tight-knit. But I fit in because I went out by myself and hung out. And they'd leave. I'd be in the water. They'd come back. Three days later, I'd still be in the water. Same little boat ended up bringing me groceries. Interesting. So you, I'm assuming, went through high school. You, Yeah, I went met. through high school. I, I tried a little bit of college to stay out of the draft. College wasn't working for me, so I studied for my draft physical and failed it spectacularly. <laughs> Would you drink a ball of soy sauce or something like that? No. Um, we ate some what we thought were mushrooms in high school, and actually it was belladonna and and i was on a porch by myself in la mesa and i thought i was with friends in ocean beach wow so i had a pretty good story they believed it they let me out of it they wanted to give me crazy money and i just jumped out and clicked my heels and left as quick as i could you can't leave right away it takes a little takes takes balls to leave yeah so what was your first big trip i went to um Central Moss Island off Ensenada. I think it was a 60-mile sail away. And rode some pretty big waves all by myself. And you kind of got, wow, this is pretty cool. So you soloed that sail down to Ensenada? Yeah, I sailed alone a lot. Not because I'm a loner, but it's really hard to get two people on the same wavelength. I wanted to go, and other people had other reasons not to go, so I went along. How did you uh, finance these, this first trip? I think, well, the first trip probably cost $17. My first real trip, I left in a Norman Cross's personal boat, a puff, 26-foot Norman Cross trimaran. I left for $75 and got all the way to Vallarta, and I traded the boat for a motorhome and some money. And with the motorhome, we explored Mexico, and I traded the motorhome for another catamaran. Basically, I financed the whole thing through magic. <laughs> I mean, no money, but just magic. Yeah, just being open to trading and, and, and having new experiences and using whatever materials you had to barter and, and moving forward. And that $75 lasted you how long? Oh, God, I don't know. It was where I broke by the time we got to Cabo. Okay. That's interesting. So when that finally finished and you did run out of money, did you come back to the States and try to make a living there, or were you able to maintain a life for how many years in Mexico and Central America? I think I lasted on that trip probably six or seven years. Wow. And then when I finally came back to America, it was deep in the 70s. It's hard for me. I've done so many trips, and I get them mixed up. 
But I came back and I, I was a millwright and I worked for a year and I had another sailboat and I went back down for seven years. And then I came back and I went to Maui and I became a sales rep for O'Neill and windsurfed and windsurfing and sailing are just two of the coolest things you can do because you can surf and you can sail at the same time. And while I was doing that, they were paying my way to San Francisco four times a year. So I bought another cheap, cheap, cheap catamaran and put it together. It took me about four or five years. I think about 1993, I plugged my fax machine into my answering machine, my answering machine and my fax machine. Flew to San Francisco, sailed to Santa Cruz, invited Jack O'Neill down to the boat, shook his hand. What a wonderful man he is. The family's great. And Jack told me, wow, boy, you're loaded up, you're ready to go. Good on you. Proud of you. And I sailed off and shoot. That was the last time I was in the United States. I, nah, I, I came back for a weekend. Somebody flew me back for a weekend, but it was in the 90s. Now, do you have no desire to ever go back to the States? I mean, you've always been doing this now, what, like 40 years, 30 years on the road? I just bought a car. My, I bought another sailboat, and my sailboat's four hours from the Arizona border, and I bought a, an Astro van. And I'm going to go back to the States just because it's the biggest swap meet in the world. Everything's so cheap there. Mm. And I want to go back, and I don't have any reason not to go back, except that, well, okay, in Nicaragua, we don't have a drinking and driving law. <laughs> and actually, we have a we have an open container law that if you, they catch you without one, they make you pull over and buy one. <laughs> so I'm afraid of America because, you know, it, it's pretty legalistic and I might screw up. But no, I'm going to go back and just look-see. And, and my family, I love my family. It's so much cheaper to bring them here to see me than it is for me to go see them. When was the last time you saw them? Oh, two years ago. Two years. They came down. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. So what I'm going to do this time is I've got another sailboat and no plans. I'm, it's in the Sea of Cortez. I've been saving the Sea of Cortez until I'm too old to surf. And I'm still not too old to surf, but it's a good time to see the Sea of Cortez. And it's close to stuff. And one thing about a sailboat is you need stuff. So... I have access to stuff, and I put my boat together, and I'm ready to do, I don't know. I mean, I've lived here in Higanti for 15 years, and I'm ready to, to sail a boat down the hill again because fucking sailing's cool, and moving a boat through the water is a magic, magic, magic experience. Absolutely. So let's talk then more about your first sailing trip down to Nicaragua and what that experience was like because I've heard you talk a little bit about the um, the revolution was hot and heavy the first time you passed through here. Can you get into more detail on like that experience? Because you sure, obviously um, the date the dates are fuzzy. Maybe seventy eight. Um, Somoza was still in power. He was in Managua. The Sandinistas had the control of the coast. They had the control of the coast because all the ships had hammer and sickle flags on them. And we pulled into Carinto. We it, it blows really hard here. We blew the clue out of the jib, and without a jib, you can't make a sloop go to weather, and you can't. You have to stay on the coast off the coast of Nicaragua. So we turned around, ran back into Corinto, and I started sewing at dawn. Everybody was in khaki. 
everybody was in serious. And there was a hospital ship there, big white hospital ship, and I would blast it, you know, with binoculars. And when I got to the funnel, the biggest hammer and sickle I ever saw, and I don't, what do they use to scare us now? I- Isis? Isis. Isis. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they used to use the hammer and sickle to scare us then. Communist life. And it scared the fuck out of me. So we, I sewed it up and we got out of there. It probably would have been pretty cool to hang out, but I sailed as long as I could until I started falling asleep. And I could tell I was in just a wave-rich zone because it's blown offshore and they're just everywhere I look, there's just triangles and the weight and they're, the spray's blowing off of both directions and you can see them spit. And there's a little bay and I sail into this little bay at anchor. And in the morning, I get a good enough line of position that I know kind of where I'm at and I'm actually a hundred yards away from where we're sitting right now. And we pulled the hook and we went to Costa Rica because Costa Rica was Pachero Grande by yourself, everywhere by yourself. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's kind of the my whole story about surfing since 90, well, maybe 2004, surfing by yourself. I tell people I turn my hair gray because I couldn't decide whether I wanted the first wave or the second wave. So you'd say 2004 was kind of a tipping point for Central American surfers where... Maybe, just, yeah. And, and well, the, you know, then there were six or seven guys in the water. Mm-hmm. And six or seven guys in the water is different than surfing by yourself. Mm-hmm. But it's still great. I mean, people are still really enjoying themselves. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing the place. What I'm saying is I was really lucky I got to surf it alone. Now I surf, a, I, I've developed a different way of surfing now. I ride a small little board called a Papio board that's Hawaiian design. And I basically just tube ride and I get maybe 10 or 15 yard long tube rides in, in this little wave in my front yard. And yeah, it's not as good for me now surfing wise because there's so many people in the water. But for my neighbors, for the people that I maybe, I call myself 35% Nicaraguan. I've lived here for 20 years. For my neighbors, they have motorcycles now. They have houses. They have jobs. They have security. They have they have a life. And yeah, wah, I don't have every set wave I want. But it's just so much better now for them. And Nicaragua, honestly, is better now than when I got here. And, In what sense? Well, geez, we're going to go to open mic night tonight. There's a, there's a, a ton of girls. There's there's stuff, you know, there's there's things to do. Mm-hmm. When I got here it was dark at night and and you just went home and you know, we called it single handed. It was not you know, like making the scene with a magazine. <laughs> so yeah, you passed by in the seventies and you did get a little taste, but it was uh politically maybe a little unstable and explored Costa Rica and then after that trip you went back, um you sold your cat or did you sail at home or what happened after I put that? On, I put on the beach in this place called La Custa de Guanacaxle, and I went back, and the only thing left was a, a was a was a a bow piece that that Pat Kern had built out of rosewood in, in Golfito, and it just rotted away. I I left it too long. I left it for ten years. I went back to to Maui and and spent ten years windsurfing there. But I came down in another catamaran, the same design, but much, much better built, much better. It was put together better. 
So you came down in the nineties on a different catamaran, is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. And, I, um, yeah. And as the story goes, you were, uh, running maybe a charter. Why don't you tell us how you yeah. actually shipwrecked here? Well, I, had a, I, I had a charter. A guy got cut, cut his foot on a rock really badly. And, and I thought he was going to bleed out on me. And I did the, the estimated time of arrival and I thought he'd die before I got him back to San Juan del Sur. And there was a, an army base on the beach close by. They were protecting turtles. So I drove the boat up on the beach thinking that I'd just break the rudders off and be able to fix them and, and, you know, we'd save his life. Well, we hit a sandbar and took a wave over the stern and I lost everything. Did you save his life? Everything. Sorry? Did you save his life? Oh, he was walking in six weeks. Okay. And, and, and I lost everything. And I tell people that I didn't choose Nicaragua, Nicaragua chose me. There was nobody here then. There was, I was patching dings for Nicaragua. I ended up making fuel tanks out of fiberglass. You know, I'm really good with my hands. And the only job available was real estate. But I learned how to do HTML. I learned how to do websites. And I got a really good Nicaraguan partner. And I brought friends of mine from Hawaii here to buy property. They buy $55,000 lots on the beach at Hacienda Iguana, you know, it's called Colorado's now. I, we named it Herenus, but somehow the name didn't stick. But it's Hacienda Iguana now, and my friends bought for 55000 and sold for 255000 350000 Anyway, I have, I have some really, really good friends in Hawaii that like me a lot. What's, I, this is the meat of the story that I love so much. I'd like to get into more detail about the timeline of things because knowing you a long time, we shared a lot of uh, good experiences and I've heard a, a little bit of your story and I think the audience could really benefit from this portion because this is, I think, where we really get an understanding about the type of person it takes to come to a place like this and build and accomplish what you have accomplished. So you shipwreck. There's nobody here. You're obviously not selling property right away. Let's talk a little bit about you being in San Juan, which at that time you were one of how many gringos, if any? There were, there were three gringos. One was gay, one was 75, and one was me. Okay. And at one point you told me that you in one year only were able to, to scrape together $1,000. $1,100. 1100 I, I made $1,100 in commissions. I starved. And you were just, just, you didn't have a boat at this time. So I didn't have a boat. I, you're fixing I, dings for locals on their boats, correct? And, and you could, you can find ways to make money. You can fix stuff. You can do things. I can't remember exactly how I did it, but God, I know I did it because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here telling the story. Mm-hmm. But I didn't eat every day. We had eating days and not eating days. Another guy named John West, who had the first internet service provider company in Nicaragua, and he was a godsend. He would bring me up once a month to his house, and I just emptied his refrigerator. Just I, I'd eat every all, all of everything. It's kind of funny now, but it wasn't very funny then. So then it took. Would you say? One year, two year, four five years. So there's there were four years you got on your feet. Four years, four years were black, and then the light shone, and 
It's been really good. Yeah. So you shipwreck, four years goes by, you scraping, you didn't, you chose not to call family for help and maybe go home and, and start a new job and, and re, regain some of that capital and sail away again. You chose to stick it out here, grind it out, make a living for yourself in some way, shape or form. You said you met John Wiss and your partner at one point who you both threw in some capital and started buying properties. Is that how it worked? No, my partner, my partner worked for the government. He made $200 a month. All the, all the money came from people that I knew that came down and we sold them property. And instead of, instead of taking a commission, we keep a few bucks just to keep our heads above water and a piece of the property. I see. And then the piece of the property we sold again. And we're talking about God, the most God, beautiful ocean front, incredible piece of property you can imagine. And you have three months on us, which is like five acres, and you sell for eighty grand. That's probably worth five hundred and eighty thousand dollars now. But that's how we started. And my Nicaraguan partner was really good at first because he spoke Spanish and got me started with the law and everything like that. But then he, you know, he became, well, Dale's going to do all the work and I get half the money. I'm golden, which is kind of how corporate America works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I'm just a wage slave like everybody else, but I swim every day. Every when did uh, when did you start building your pongas? Those those um, custom made wooden pongas that you're kind of known for, especially here in Nicaragua? Mm, I don't know. A guy, a, a guy named, I got a guy designed them for me. And God, I'm just so embarrassed. I can't name his name right now. But he's just, he, it's Chesapeake Lightcraft. And his name's John. And he designed the first one for me. And you, had, you, you, get, you get a piece of paper with drawings on it. You have to turn it into, into a work of art. And, oh, I guess that was late in the 90s. Before I, actually, I built one before I moved here to Gigante, so maybe 97. And you're, you're able to take those uh, small crafts up and down the coast, exploring and really getting to know the waves of the coast here? Well, named them all. And, and of course, none of the names stuck, but that doesn't matter. A few of them did. I believe you named uh, Ponga Drops and Man's I guess Ponga Drops stuck. Yeah. <laughs> But not, not much else did. But it, it doesn't matter that the whole that that part of it isn't what isn't what I did it for, and isn't what is valuable now. What's valuable now is that God. I look around and I see so many people, so many local Nicaraguans who have benefited from what I did, and from starting this the surf tour thing. There's. 400 people in this town that have jobs now that didn't have jobs before. I mean, there's something there. I, that's my, that's what I'm proud of. I'm proud of what I, of, yeah, I kind of ruined the surf for everybody, but not really because there's, there's now a thousand guys enjoying waves that there were just two or three of us enjoying. And now there's Nicaraguans that have, you know, decent lives and health care and they send their kids to school and they're doing good things with it. And that's what I'm the most proud of. Yeah, it's incredible. I got here, what, in 2005? And if you were to Google surfing anywhere in Central America, you managed to come up first in the Google search. You were everywhere. And uh, I remember when we first got to Igante, you had what was called a Hidden Bay Tour. 
because you were actually stationed down in San Juan and you had a little, you built a little place up here that you um, would send people to. And I remember getting to meet you for the first time. And although I don't think you really trusted me because I was, you probably seen a million guys like me come through here. You always seemed to be available in times of need. You know, you always kind of kept to yourself, but if our boat was having problems, we were always capable of coming to you for any kind of question. You gave us an honest answer that was extremely helpful. And I mean, couldn't have been happier to uh, engage with you in that sort of scenario, you know, with your wealth of knowledge and boats and fiberglass and engines. I mean, you saved us so many times um, in the early years. And then you moved up to Igante, actually. I mean, you kind of left your station in San Juan where you'd spent, I guess at this point, like 10 years and kind of transferred everything up here. Was there a reason for that? Yeah, I built a house. <laughs> Finally, so you built your there, first there house. No, there wasn't really here. John actually bought a house that that I could have bought, but I I had I had reservations because I thought that somebody would buy the house next door and build a wall and fuck it all up. And as you and I both know, that's exactly what happened. But I built a house, and then I could actually I tried to do it. I tried to do it from both places, and and it didn't. You know, I kind of. You can't be. You can't do a good job working for two places, and that's how John and you guys got started because I was dropping the ball up here. Now you had, um, I think, some also inspirational people come work for you over the years, and I know, like, kind of when Cassidy came into your life, she was a, a hot young photographer coming up from Costa Rica with Tony Roberts. Mm -hmm. She um, seemed to really take your help you take your business to another level. Would you? consider that accurate? I mean, you grinded at it for so long. and Without a doubt, without a doubt. Cassidy, I, I called it Hidden Base Surf Tours, and I didn't want to tell anybody where it was. She called it Dale Dagger Surf Tours and made me a legend, <laughs> which to this day, you can look at me. My face is red. I'm not a legend. <laughs> Bob Marley's a legend. Um, I've had a lot of help from a lot of people. And a guy named Tony Roberts is really really move things forward. Uh, excellent, excellent photographer, a great friend and, and excellent confidant. He taught me a lot of things. But I thought that I could keep Nicaragua secret and didn't work. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about that because that's a great story because you were actually the contact for the crossing, Quicksilver's boat that was going around the world searching for waves and uh, they contacted you because you had your connections, I'm assuming, to the surf industry when you worked for Neil, to help them show show them the spots. Is that correct? Actually, not. Okay, it, please. It was a it was a tip of the hat to me. Okay. The, the local kids in San Juan del Sur were just dying to show them all the spots, and and the way you found the spots was you followed the Masaita. That was the name of my first boat, and that's how everybody found the places. They just would follow my boat, and that's how they found the spots. And so the, the local kids knew what was going on. And and Martin Daly and, and Mark Coleman didn't need Dale Dagger to show them where surf spots are. These guys are really, really good. They didn't need it. As a tip of the hat and, and as, a, as a courtesy, they invited. But they didn't need it. Really good people. And through them, I met Tony Roberts. Tony, Tony always tells a story, though, that there's a few spots that you really want to keep to yourself. And uh, 
as, as you ventured up the coast in the boat, they would ask about, oh, what is that coast like over there? And you said, oh, it's nothing. I've been there a million times. It doesn't have any sort of waves. When in actuality, I think it was, what, Colorado, which is one of the best beef breaks here in Nicaragua. Yeah, is that I, correct? I tried really hard. Like I say, these guys are really good. They didn't need me. But as a sailor, Marcoma was looking for a place to anchor. So I told him to anchor in Higante. Well, fuck you, anchor in Higante. If you can't find the beach break from Higante, you're a moron. <laughs> and Mark Coleman's not a moron. They knew it right away. They backed, the, the first time they took me, I, they took me over there. And Tony, they backed the tin, they call it the tin boat, little aluminum boat. They backed the tin boat so close to the break that someone just jumped off the back of it into a set way. I mean, I was so close to fucking poverty, I could never take a chance like that with a boat that I owned. And these guys just, they were so good. They were just, they were at the top of their game. Once they got here, it was over. Game over. That's when it ended. But you had been here enough and established yourself that uh, you actually probably got to capitalize on the exposure from the surf magazines that came out after that trip. And do you think that helped your business at all? Or were you already doing okay without that sort of exposure? Oh, no, no, no. It, it, it definitely didn't hurt me. And I'm the guy that taught Tony Roberts. Tony, I'm sorry for saying this, and but Tony shot covers. He shot pros. That's what Tony did. And I taught Tony, look, man, shoot kooks. You're so good. You can take my clients, you can make them look good. And so he would, he, I would take him, he'd take my clients who are less than average surfers and shoot pictures of them and make them look good. And now there's more money in that than there ever, ever, ever was in shooting covers. You're absolutely right. Yeah, Tony's a wizard and he makes everybody look amazing when uh, he shoots you. I've got a couple of photos that make me look pretty good. Absolutely. So you have been here a long time. You continue to reside here. You you mentioned you have now a catamaran in Mexico that you might like to bring down here. And trimaran. Trimaran. I apologize. No, it's it, it, it. Okay, it's it's like it's because I'm a sailor. I want you to get it right. Catamarans. Catamarans now have freezers in them, and that yeah, you know, and double beds, and and yeah, you know, they can hardly sail out of their own way. Trimarans are the ones that guys do 900 miles a day in. There's a guy who did 600 miles a day by himself. Trimarans are a lot higher performance. The boat I have now, you, know, you shit in a bucket, throw it over the rail. You, know, you, 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 know, you weigh everything. It's, it's a sailboat. It, it sails. And it's not about comfort. It's about sailing. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds like this whole story is really about you maintaining the life that keeps you surfing and keeps you sailing because that is what is in your veins. The fact that you have an environment that allows you to just do the things that you love. Um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that about right? You, you just, you're missing one little thing and, 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 and it's something new that I've come up with. It's called Cassie called it dream walking. What I do is I, I have, I put a pair of fins on and I, like vertically dog paddle and, and I breathe and I, you know, you, you, you're aware of your breath. You're, you're moving through the ocean 
And I close my eyes, but I open them occasionally to make sure I'm going in the right way. And it's like walking, but you're not walking. You're in the ocean. Mm. And then when I come into the beach, I I let the waves kind of shove me in, in what I would call yoga asanas. But I don't know enough about yoga to really tell you that that's how it is. But I do this yoga thing that's all about the water, the ocean. So, no, my life is, is it, surfing, sailing, this swimming thing I do, and now I do these stretches in the water. My life is ocean-centric. It's not about just one thing. As I've grown older, I've learned to do new stuff. And, and the new stuff is pretty cool. Now, over the years, looking back, do you feel like um, any, any sacrifices you had to make that were hard for you? Or was it all very just natural? And um, I know life here isn't easy, but is there anything that uh, stands out as being like, man, I had this crossroad come in front of me where I could have done this or that, and I chose this. Anything that stands out as being one of those moments where you really didn't know what the decision was, but you took one path and it worked out for you? That's a pretty tough question. And, 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 and it's really hard to answer, like, right off the top of your head. That's fine. We don't have to to go into it. But I'm not really, I'm not really sorry for any decisions that I've made. And I'm not really sorry for where my life is. Where my boat is now, the guru, his name is Denny Grover. We call him Denny Grover. And, and he worked 45 years. You know, he, he created a, a, a ski resort. He did so much more than what I've done. And he's got social security and veterans benefits and, and, you know, he did the whole American dream, picket fence, grandchildren, the whole that. And he's just such a cool guy. And, and, but he made it work for him, but it didn't work for me. The American dream wasn't going to work for me because I didn't fit the American dream. I, I smoked pot. I, I could turn, I could turn a, a failure to a period to a, into being handcuffed, you know, on, on the bow of a Coast Guard cutter and drug off to jail. I didn't fit in America. There are some people that are really good at it, and and God stay there if you're good at it. But if it if if they're fucking with you, get out of there. I mean, I that's my advice. It, if it doesn't work for you, leave because it's not going to get any better. It's only gotten worse from what I hear. I don't even listen to news anymore. It's just so, well, you don't even know who to believe. But I go swimming every day. And yeah, I don't, I surf, but I, I surf a different way than people surf, but I'm 65 years old. When I was in my 40s, 13 Brazilians would paddle out and I'd get set waves. And I had respect when I was a young, strong man. Now I'm an old guy, and I respect myself. I think that's the most important thing, is self-respect. That's and great. And you do that by doing, I don't know, how do you get self-respect? I guess you just live your life, and God, if it turns out right, you respect yourself for it. Yes. I don't have any answers for anybody. No, you nailed it. Those were, you just went straight through my last few questions in, in a very poetic, eloquent way. I thank you for that. Um, What's next? And if, if 
Is it just continuing the lifestyle? I mean, you've talked about it. My plans are, I'm going to sail again. Mm -hmm. I got one more, I got one more sail in me. I'm going to build boats here in, in, I got a nice shop, you know, where I live. Mm -hmm. I've got my lifestyle set up. I've got a, a woman who, she's not my woman in a sexual sense. She's my administrator. And I've got to set up that, you know, when, when my life ends, she takes, she gets everything and it'll just continue on. And she's even better at it than I am. That's great. Um, why don't we tell the folks where people can find you if they ever want to come down and um, stay in one of your accommodations or buy property from you? Is there an easy place? I'll put it in my show notes also, but you want to just say that out loud? You know what? Chapin, I'm a secret friend. Okay. And I prefer to just be secret. And if you can figure out who Dale Dagger is, then figure it out. And if you can't, then don't. Perfect. I love it, Dale. Thanks for joining us. It's uh, been a pleasure talking to you. I think a lot of people out there are going to benefit Good from this to you, conversation. Yeah, I mean, we've been friends for a long time. But we haven't been able to sit down and talk like this. I, I agree. It's been a special day, Dale. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.